0: Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed, and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode.
1: Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode of the physical product movement podcast i speak with jeremy vandervoet ceo and president of little secrets chocolates an innovative and fast-growing chocolate company competing against some of the heavyweights in the space little secrets describes themselves as a line of all grown-up chocolates you loved as a kid with better ingredients better taste and less sugar we talk about the trends jeremy sees in the cpg space and what he describes as the white space for innovation including New business models and ventures. We also talk about the effects of COVID and accelerating direct to consumer and how it presents challenges with shipping a product like chocolate, especially in the summer months. Jeremy was an open book with loads to share from his experience in the space, including 13 years at Nestle and three years as president and CEO of Little Secrets. I think you'll learn a lot from this episode. Enjoy. All right. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me this morning. Uh, how you doing? Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate that. Well, yeah, I've been watching your, your company a little bit and you guys are having some success. And so I'm just glad to, to be able to get a few minutes of your time. Before we launch into you and your company, why don't we uh, kick it off with a quote? You know, maybe there's something, a quote that's meaningful to you, um, that, that helps you get out of bed every morning, that keeps you going. Is there something that comes to mind?
0: Yeah, there's several quotes that come to mind. I think the one that I would probably mention now because it's relevant during my time here at a startup is when faced with big challenges or issues, it's best to shrink the change and shrink the problem into smaller bite-sized pieces and then tackle and tackle each piece at a time. And I think that quote or that philosophy almost, if you will, is incredibly helpful when you are in a really difficult or have a really difficult challenge or problem to solve, like breaking it into smaller bite-sized components and then tackling each one. It really helps shrink the problem and makes it feel less overwhelming and it allows you to kind of control or focus on what you can control in more bite-sized discrete chunks if that makes
1: sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And in fact, you know, I'm a programmer um, by trade and that's exactly what you have to do whenever you're building any sort of complicated system. You know, you, you have to break it down and just, just by the nature of it, you can't take the whole thing in at once. But I imagine, you know, it, it's exactly the same for launching a CPG brand, for doing anything, I think, that, that's difficult and big. You, you have to shrink it down. Do you have any examples of that of something that maybe was was daunting and huge in the beginning and and you know maybe the process of how you applied that quote?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, when I first left Nestle and came to Boulder, Colorado to, you know, to work on the Little Secrets Chocolate brand and business, you know, there was an incredible amount of opportunities and there was a significant amount of challenges. And anyone at a startup knows this. Is this you have challenges commercially, an opportunity from a supply or, or, sorry, from a distribution, from a marketing, from a you know an awareness trial and repeat standpoint. You might have challenges getting distribution, or you have that's going well, but you might have a consumer velocity challenge. You might have co-packer or margin challenges, supply challenges. Cash challenges, right? Cash flow, et cetera. So s- when you step back, you can sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and feel a lot of anxiety or or concern of like, holy cow, there's a lot there's a lot of things to go focus on from an opportunity, and there's a lot of things that I could be worried about or, or, or anxious about. And I think it was really helpful to write out like a one pager on like what are my three must win battles? What are the three things that I have to do? and if I don't do them, we're not gonna be successful and take, take that list of 10 to 20 things and get it down to three. Was incredibly helpful to do Like right, you know, right when I got here three years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I'd imagine too, I mean, there are more than three items on there that are important, but you know, part of the struggle is, is figuring out how to ruthlessly prioritize and just find, okay, these three things need to happen. Everything else is a nice to have and we will do our best but these three things, I can't drop these three balls. Is that, yeah. is that what you mean?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And I think coming from a big company too, sometimes, and I, I think this is true at, at small companies, people value activity a lot. Like mm-hmm. if you are doing a lot of stuff, something will happen or something, you know? And so I'm going to do 20 things and that's not always creating value. I think doing three things really, really well or excellently is more valuable than doing 10 or 15 things. Okay, or slightly above average. Um, And I think shrinking that to the, yeah, these three things are must wins, are, was just really focuses the mind and also focuses this, you know, the team. And, you know, if you lead a team of people, if it's not clear what those three things are, then that can create a little bit of stress and confusion with, you know, just on the team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, it's funny. I help coach my older kids. I've got a 12 year old. Well, he actually just turned 13 last week, a 13 year old and, uh, and a 10 year old and uh, I coach him in soccer. And it's interesting when you see, see kids play, you know, in any one game, there could be, you know, 20, 30 things that you want to talk about, you know, that they need help with or that they need to do differently. But even, you know, I, I think your point about, you know, how you lead a team and how you focus the team is really important. And just even in sports for little kids, it's like, they can't remember 20 things. You have to like pick out like the one or two things from the game that you're actually going to work on and that you're going to improve on. And then you just have to kind of be okay with, with the other stuff is important too, but it, it's, it has to take a back seat to like the two or three things that you're really going to focus on.
0: It's so funny that you mentioned that because I played college basketball and- Yeah. I'll never forget, like, there's so many great lessons from, from sports in the business. But yeah, it's like, you know, when you're playing any sport any, or anything competitive, like, and, and it's fast moving, you know, the, there's a whole bunch of things going on. It, it really helps when there's a timeout call and it's like, okay, we got to stop turning over the basketball. If you like, you guys will make your shots. Don't worry about the offense, but on defense, just, or or, or sorry, you'll play, you know, like defense is good, but on offense, we're turning the basketball over twice as, twice as much as we used to, if we just stop literally turning over the basketball, we're going to get more shots, we're going to get better shots, et cetera, et cetera. Everything else will solve itself. Um, and it's just like, just do that one thing. And that was like, I always remember those kinds of lessons versus a coach just yelling at you to like score more or play better or do this on defense, do that, you know? And it's like that kind of motivation never works. It's just like, you guys just do this one thing better.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No. And I I think good leaders know how to do that. You know, you just still, you know, you figure out what exactly is at the core of, you know, the struggling or the lack of success or whatever, whatever is going wrong. And then you just focus in on, okay, we're going to do that, do the one or two, three things. Well, Jeremy, we kind of launched right into it. I want to hear more about you, like where you're from. And how do you, how do you say your last name? Vander Voet. It's like poet, but Voet with a V. at the end. Vander Voet. Okay. I would have said Vander Voet. I'm sure you get that a lot. I get that a lot. It's all good. <laughs> Vander Voet. Yeah. So where, where where are you from? And then, you know, I kind of want to hear a little bit about what motivated this move. And um, I know that you spent 13 years at, at Nestle. I think that's something that we can touch on. But yeah, just tell us a little bit about where you're from and, and how you ended up in Boulder running a chocolate company.
0: Yeah, the quick backstory is, you know, coming out of undergrad, I went into management consulting at Bain, worked on a number of different clients. And one of the clients that really piqued my interest in marketing was actually um, was Nike and got to work with other cases and other brands too, and got it. But just working on that one client at Bain, where I got to see great marketers, a great brand, a great company, I kind of that's what inspired me to be, I really wanted to be on the other side of the table for it. Be, you know, just being being in management consulting, I wish I could get onto the brand side and make decisions, make things happen, create products and experiences that really impact people's lives. And I I saw that firsthand. You know, that's going back 20 years. And then went to the school and got my MBA from UCLA and got into brand management um, at Nestle and was there, yeah, for 13 years, was in the confectionery, chocolate, sugar portfolio division. And did a number of roles, worked in a number of brands, got to do you know, led our seasonal team, led our sugar confectionery business, our, and then most recently, led our chocolate portfolio, and got to do some really exciting things on Butterfinger specifically. Butterfinger launched uh, Butterfinger peanut butter cups, Butterfinger bites. Did our did the company's first Super Bowl commercial on Butterfinger cups and grew the brand by fifty percent in a category growing you know two or three percent. So it's like some really, really cool things that got to do that. But what brought me out to Boulder was, is I learned, and I'm so grateful for my time at Nestle. I learned so much. There were so many great people. And we, as in all food and beverage categories, have seen some pretty big macro trends shifting to, you know, to better for you, et cetera. And that space was absolutely, has been impacting snacking confectionery and, one of my roles at the very end was looking at M&A, looking at white space innovation, actually it was part of my job while I was running the chocolate division. So I was out in Boulder on behalf of Nestle, looking at brands that we might acquire or partner with when I was at Nestle at like Justin's and Little Secrets and you know other chocolate brands. It all didn't work out. But in 2018, I just kind of decided to make the jump from big CBG out to Boulder uh, because I believe in what was happening out here. And I believed in what was happening at a macro level with consumers and category shifting. And I just really was eager to learn something new.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So you, you worked on Butterfinger, then you said, that was a, that was a childhood favorite of mine, you know? And so I actually haven't thought about it in a really long time, but that was always my candy bar of choice. You didn't have anything to do with it. Like being linked with the the Simpsons, I think like, Bart was a spokesperson for a couple commercials or something like that. I seem to remember that.
0: Well, I brought Bart back in 2013. So I was the brand manager in 2013. Uh uh, The Bart Simpson era put Butterfinger on the map, like literally put Butterfinger as a household name back in the 90s, 1990s for for about eight or nine, 10 years. And then the partnership kind of ended there at the end of the 90s. And then in 2013, it was the 90th anniversary of Butterfinger. And I had this whole campaign that was like a look back over the last 90 years. And of course I had to include the Simpsons. So I called Fox and got a deal done. And we did a really cool Bart Simpsons promotion. There was a digital component to it. Someone had stolen Bart's bar, one of it, you know, and then it was like a Who Done It type promotion uh-huh. uh, on pack, in store, on online. And it was really, really cool. It was one of my favorite marketing campaigns that I had ever done on Butterfinger. And then just just to build on that one other thing you said, you know, you love Butterfinger, grew up with it. You have a lot of affinity for it, but haven't thought about it in a long time. Uh That's why we launched Butterfinger Bites and Butterfinger Peanut Butter Cups, Uh was to make Butterfinger more broadly appealing. Because everybody knows Butterfinger, but the insight there was that not a lot of people or not as many people were still considering it.
1: Yeah, you know, and... and I think I just kind of grew up, right? Like it was great as a kid. My taste kind of changed a little bit. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. Why, why do you think that, you know, Butterfinger, you know, kind of saw that, that dip in sort of mind space and, and consumption? And, you know, I, I assume it was reflected in the Butterfinger sales. You know, what was, your, what was your theory behind that? Or what was the research saying?
0: Well, Butterfinger was always and has been a very unique product. It, it actually gets stuck in your teeth. And it's a very unique taste, texture, and color. And it's very polarizing. And the irony is that everybody has tried Butterfinger. A lot of people love it. Some people don't. It's not for everyone. But a lot of people also use it in alternative ways. Like they'll crumble it. It's a really great ingredient for Hmm. either baking or ice cream toppings. And so it kind of travels into other usage occasions really well. And so part of the marketing opportunity was to reinvigorate the brand by considering alternative uses other than asking you to go buy a full-size Butterfinger bar, which you might love as as a teenager, but maybe not want when you're 35, 40 years old as an adult. And so it was trying to tap into that affinity, that equity, and and that awareness of how the, I remember eating Butterfinger, but I want it now in this form or in this occasion. And so, yeah, that was part of our challenge slash opportunity when I was there at Nestle.
1: Cool. Cool. Well, it sounds, sounds like a, like an awesome job. So yeah. Tell us a little bit more about why, why you left it. I mean, why? Uh, so you saw the opportunities going on in Boulder. Had you always considered starting a business of your own? Did you want your own brand? And did you know that you wanted to do it in, in chocolate?
0: Yeah, and you know, just to be clear, I didn't start Little Secrets from scratch. I joined it about two or three years after it had started. I joined in 2018. I think it started in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, so I joined kind of er- early on in the phase. But but yeah, I just to be clear, I did start it. But you know, what really brought me out here was I I had learned a lot at Big CPG at Nestle, but I I I kind of. Zooming into this category, you know, it's chocolate confectionery is a 14 plus billion dollar category just in the US. When you add sugar, it's over $20 billion. And it's dynamic. It's a variety-seeking category. There's a lot of room for a lot of brands and a lot of innovation. There's a lot of usage occasions, and it's going through a sea change where there is a big macro shift to better for you. And we can get into better for you because that's defined you know, 10 different ways by different consumer segments. But there is, and I saw the data, saw the writing on the wall. And and in 2018, I actually helped Nestle sell the chocolate division to Ferrero. And I was part of that process. So I kind of had an opportunity to go with the acquiring company, Ferrero, or I could leave at that point and jump off and go kind of do and go learn something new. And I think like stretching yourself and learning. And I mean, I still have a lot to learn. And, you know, jumping from a big CPG into a small company, it is like jumping into the deep end and sink or swim. And and I just feel like if I was ever going to do that in life, that was the moment to do it. And the And the category was changing. There was, there's a pretty big consumer shift to natural and better for you chocolate. And so this opportunity arose with Sunrise, strategic partners where they were looking to invest in this area. I had met them a couple of years prior and the stars kind of aligned and I just don't want to look back with any regrets. So I just jumped into the deep end and moved out here to Boulder.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and it's, uh, you know, it, I, I think everybody knows that big companies are, are different than small companies. What, <laughs> what, are, what are some of the things that, that may be surprised you about a small company you know, I'm sure it sounds like, you know, just in your daily work with Nestle, you were interacting with these smaller brands all the time. But what are some of the things that surprised you about uh, joining a small company?
0: Um, so at a small company, yeah, the it is amazing how close to the business everybody needs to be. And, you know, when I joined, I didn't completely understand that, like, I might... I will actually get involved in production planning and knowing the production schedule, calling a co-packer to make sure that we're running, to make sure that our packaging arrived on time. I mean, you need to know the guts of the business. You need to know the financials of the business in more intimate detail than you ever need to know at a big company. Uh, and, And I come with a marketing background. You need to know your business inside and out. Because it's you are able to adapt and and be much more nimble at a small company. The decision-making process to do anything is just inherently a lot faster. And that's not a knock on a big company. Um, Big companies have more resources; they can do big things on big scales. And it is just apples and oranges. And when you come to a small company, though, you just don't have an army of people solving or helping you solve all of your challenges. And so it is more up to you to articulate the opportunity, to articulate the challenge, and identify solutions in a much quicker form. And you probably don't need as many meetings to do it. And that's one of the things that would just hit me over the head like a ton of bricks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't need as many, maybe you don't need any meetings to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, you might
0: not need any meetings. You can probably just, just decide in the moment what, what needs to be done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of things, macro trends, white space innovation, and then, you know, just the big trend of the better for you. Do you mind uh, talking to the audience a little bit about what you mean by that and what you see from your vantage point?
0: Yeah. I mean, the whole genesis for Little Secrets Chocolate and why I moved out here was, so if you think about legacy, conventional, big chocolate, there's these phenomenal brands that are, you know, there's the Butterfingers, the M&M's, Snickers, Twix, Kit Kat, Reese's, right? Big brands, right? Well, if you think about all those brands, they're predominantly in very unique product forms. So peanut butter cups, little tiny chocolate candy coated pieces for M&M's, a cookie bar covered in caramel for a Twix, a chocolate wafer with chocolate cream for a Kit Kat, and and and, and so on. Butterfinger is a crispy crunchy peanut butter bar. And the product forms all exist for different reasons. There's different need states. There's different reasons why people want to indulge. There's different flavor profiles. And, it, and, and in a variety-seeking indulging category, there's a lot of room for a lot of different product forms and different product experiences for different consumer segments for different need states and so on and so on. And it always struck me, and Sunrise strategic partner Steve Hughes at Sunrise had the same insight as I did. As like it always struck us, this is going back now three or four years, five years that the natural chocolate category, which is growing at 15 to 20% a year, is predominantly, and even still to this day, predominantly these large chocolate tablets. So if you think of Choco Love, which is a bellwether and a great brand within the chocolate, natural chocolate category, or Lilies, or um, Endangered Species, and all these phenomenal brands that really started and built the natural chocolate segment, Mm -hmm. The vast majority of them are in large chocolate tablet blocks. And there's not these popular, nostalgic, classic chocolate favorites, really until Justin's came out with the organic peanut butter cup. That was the first product on a national basis that took a chocolate classic like Reese's peanut butter cups and made an organic, better-for-you version of it. And that's where the light bulb went off. It's like, holy cow but where's Kit Kat? And where's Twix? where's m ms where's and so where's Milky Way? Where, where's all these great products that we all know and love that have a lot of you know that taste great but have artificial ingredients and have a lot of sugar and all these things is there a better version of these and are there a lot of people that would eat a natural better version of these chocolate classics and then wow this is a huge these are all you know multi hundred million dollar brands is there a consumer segment out there that wants a natural, better version of these, and it's not available today. And that's the genesis of what we're trying to accomplish at Little Secrets.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. So you were uh, gracious enough to send me some samples, a box of quite a few samples. And I got to say, they were gone in like 15 minutes. We devoured them, and, and they were awesome. Do you mind describing the, the products just a little bit, just so people know... Uh, concretely can can understand you know what you guys are doing at, at little secrets and i think that would be illustrative of the, the point you're, you're making
0: yeah and you know we just relaunched our website and this is all available on littlesecretschocolates.com and you can order it but we basically have three product segments we have chocolate pieces which is you know a version or a better quote-unquote version of an m&m and it's our our, our our top selling flavor is our peanut butter Pieces, which is a very indulgent peanut butter in dark chocolate in a little candy-coated shell, so it'll remind you of M&Ms. Um, and then we have our chocolate wafers, which is a uh, our take on a Kit Kat, and uh, it's our top-selling item. We have four flavors: dark chocolate with sea salt, milk chocolate with sea salt, peanut butter, and almond butter. So, yeah. so
1: Kit Kat's my my wife's favorite chocolate bar, and her name is Cat. You know, so I wonder if oh. it was just you know as a kid, she liked that. Um, but I got to say that the crispy wafers were also my favorite, and I thought they were better than a Kit Kat for sure. Um, what
0: and so what about that? Did you like and why? Like like why did you think it was better than a Kit Kat? Because I the,
1: the brand manager, the marketing guy, coming out right there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I always, I always turn everything into a focus group, right? <laughs> you know, so I actually liked the the dark chocolate one. I like the sea salt in it, you know, and so it, I think it was just a little more interesting than just a, a, a sweet uh, Kit Kat uh, bar. But then, uh, you know, it's also the texture; it crunches a little bit different than a Kit Kat bar. So, for me, I, I kind of like the the. It felt almost like a more sophisticated taste than like a, a typical Kit Kat, but it still remind me of it reminded me of like a Kit Kat. Does that make sense? Well,
0: yeah. Well, that's, so what you just said is what our big idea and our brand promise want. That's what I want it to be. And that's what I want people to organically think and feel when they eat our uh, product. I mean, It reminds me of, it, it, it elicits the emotions of eating these great chocolate brands that I grew up with, but it's elevated. It's more premium. It's, it, it, it. It, it is a premium experience. It's dark chocolate. It's a little bit of sea salt. It's a crispy wafer. It's a little bit actually larger too. And here's the mind-blowing insight is that we're able to do this in an indulgent, taste-forward way. We're going to be a taste-forward brand forever. Mm-hmm. But we're able to do it with 30% less sugar.
1: Yeah. And yeah. so
0: it's truly better for you. And, not only, and it's also non-GMO. And it's, of course, no artificial colors and flavors. Those are just table stakes. So we're able to do it with higher quality ingredients, but we're also able to do it with less sugar, but also be indulgent and taste forward. And I think that is the, you, you know, our unique proposition that I want everybody when they eat it, that light bulb moment to go off is like, holy cow, this is special. I, I, you, know, I you know, I want more of this.
1: Well, and, and, I, and I think you guys are nailing it. And, and you were going to talk about the, the other segments. I think you've got cookie bars. And then do you, do you have a Oh,
0: as well? correct. Our third product segment is a really nice, indulgent cookie bar a la Twix. And we have two flavors in dark and milk chocolate. Dark chocolate has a salted caramel and with a premium cookie bar. And we just launched that about a year and a half ago. And then we have some really exciting innovation coming out in just a couple months from now. Which are going to be our creamy caramel nougat bars, which Allah will be, uh, is you know, inspired by Milky Way um, and three musketeer. We have one with without caramel, which is just, and, and we added a lot of extra cocoa into the nougat to make the nougat really premium, and then it's coated in uh, dark chocolate. And then we have one with caramel, so that would be inspired by Milky Way.
1: Yeah, that, that's awesome. You know, I, I really kind of um, liked what you're saying about some of these macro trends. And I think Boulder is like a hotbed of some of this innovation that you're seeing in the food space and the CPG space. Are there other, other CPG uh, categories where you're seeing similar things happen? You know, maybe, maybe, you know, listeners could look to, you know, just as a point of study to understand what's going on in the market.
0: You know, I feel like what we're talking about within chocolate is and has been happening in literally just about every single food and beverage category. If you think that, if you think about the grocery store, I mean, I can't think of a category that has not been touched by this. And in the you know, the closer in categories to us right are snacking. You think about the snack category and you know what's happening, whether it's protein snacking or chips. Etc. All the way through ice cream, which is an, another indulgent category that that has been really just you know ripe for new brands and experiences and flavors and better for you, all the way to beverages and and everything happening, which is within the beverages. But yeah, I can't almost think of a category that has not been touched by some of the trends that we're talking about.
1: Yeah. One of the brands that comes to mind, I mean, you mentioned Justin's and what they did, you know, sort of the peanut butter space, you know, and they've had quite a bit of success. And then also I think of the brand, the ice cream one, uh, Halo Top. Is that the, Halo, the big one?
0: Yeah. Halo Top was exploded, what, like four or five years ago um, oh. in the ice cream s- segment. And, and that, you know, they did that with low cal- low calorie and, 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 you know, every brand has kind of tackled this space in a very different way. Lily's which was just acquired by Hershey and Smart Sweets has done a really good job in our space. And then you have brands like Olipop coming into the beverage category, doing a really great, you know, better for you take on on on, on cola. But but then you have brands like Justin's that put this category on the map and it was a fully indulgent dark chocolate or, orga- you know, organic indulgent peanut butter cup, um, and almond butter cup and, and did it in a very indulgent way.
1: And so oh, like I said, there's- Were they they peanut butter cups? Is that what they came out with? I think of them as peanut butter primarily. And then it seems like the peanut butter cups came later.
0: Right. They had had a spread business first. So they started out as a spread, as a peanut butter, almond butter spread business in a jar and then in those little squeeze packs.
1: Yeah. And then
0: I think, you know, probably eight, nine, ten years ago, they extended into peanut butter cups as their big kind of category line extension. And that really took off.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure you've been keeping an eye on them. I I actually don't think I've tried their their peanut butter cups, you know, but I'm a huge peanut butter fan. And I thought that, you know, one of one of the innovations was just even putting the peanut butter in these smaller, you know, what is it, the little plastic container thing um, that you could just carry with you. I thought that that
0: yeah, that's a great example. I think that's a really great example of innovation around a use education and making it easy for people to try and discover your brand. And that's a great, you know, example of like innovation doesn't always have to be a new product or a form. It can sometimes be a usage occasion, and so people don't have to buy a twelve or fourteen dollar jar of almond butter. They can buy a little tiny sample pack or a single serve. In our category, you can buy a single serve or multi serve. You there's different ways for people to discover and actually try your brand. So yeah, they did a really good job with that.
1: Huh, cool, cool. So you're launching a, a new product. Um, what was the, what was it again? And, and when can people um, expect to see it?
0: Yeah, it's, it'll be available on Amazon and our website coming this fall, probably sometime around November. And it is a creamy caramel nougat bar, and then we have one without caramel, so a, a soft and soft and creamy nougat bar platform. There's two products, right? There's one that's inspired by Three Musketeer and one by Milky Way. The main difference being the caramel between the two. And it it was really inspired by two things. One is our portfolio today has cookie bars, crispy wafers, has pieces which has that little crunchy shell on it. So there's a big textural component to what we have in our portfolio that has a crunchy, crispy texture. And having a soft, indulgent caramel nougat experience is very complimentary to the product portfolio we have today. And that was very thoughtful, as well as the fact, and probably equally important, that these products don't exist in the marketplace. You can't find until January of 2022 at Whole Foods, you won't be able to find a product like this in the marketplace. Because if you love caramel and nougat and soft indulgent textures, and if you don't want a crispy or harder texture, and you want something soft and indulgent, this is now our product product. Right for that consumer segment, looking for that type of a product. And and these products are kind of white space
1: within the natural segment. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, and that, that sounds great and I'll definitely look forward to, at Whole Foods. And you guys are in Whole Foods uh, nationwide, is that right?
0: Yeah, we have our entire product portfolio of pieces, crispy wafers, and cookie bars, and now nougat bars coming in January, nationwide in Whole Foods. and And then we have other great partners beyond Whole Foods, but from a national perspective, Whole Foods, and now Sprouts has taken us, and we have other great partners like Fresh Market and Natural Grocers and, and you know, many other partners in the natural channel that have our portfolio in distribution.
1: Yeah, well, well congrats. You know, I think that, that we could keep this interview going. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, topics that I'd love to, to pick your brain on. I'd love to hear, you know, view Amazon, how you approach Amazon, D2D sales, or D2C sales, sorry, um, COVID, how that affected the business. And then, you know, but maybe we just touch on one, just shipping a product like yours, you know, when you go uh, D to C and you're shipping chocolate, you know, that obviously melts if it's left out in the sun, you know, what are some of the challenges around that? How do you guys approach it? And and how is, how has that been in terms of sales and sort of relaunching your website and all that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So the logistics and the shipping of chocolate is a very big challenge to tackle in this industry as anyone who's in the industry knows especially during the summer there's kind of two big windows there's the winter and the summer window is a big deal because when consumers look and, and find any you know this category or your brand and they buy it they expect it to whether it's the summer or the winter they expect it to arrive not only quickly but without it melting or in and in, in with a height you know and if we're in the natural chocolate space and we're, there's there's a premium to it they they expect it to taste good, look good, um, and chocolate can gets a little technical here, it can, but it can bloom and it can turn white or it can get little spot, It can it can change actually the color of the chocolate if it if it melts. Mm. Um, and so figuring out the logistics behind the scenes has been has been something we really focused on, and we have partners in the summer ship with ice packs for our Amazon business, so that we could finally for the very first time this year keep Amazon live year round. And so we, cause before, you know, we were only available in the winter through FBA during the winter. And then we'd have to shut the whole thing down every summer. And it's, you know, the flywheel and the algorithm and you know, you need your listing up available at all times. Yes. So that you can build right. So there's, there was one big solve in finding the right 3PL partner with the right logistics and ship time with ice packs and the right, at the right cost and price point. That was a huge project that we undertook to get ready for this year. And that's, that's been exciting. And then we moved offices actually in Boulder. We changed offices, launched our D2C website and now can fulfill product um, quickly with ice packs in the summer from, you know, from our office, from our warehouse here, you know, just here locally for, for, for orders online. And that was
1: a whole logistical undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, just wrapping up here, are there are there any shows that you guys are attending? Any promotions you guys are are, are having right now for anybody that that's interested in in you know getting in contact with your company or uh, trying out your product?
0: Yeah, well, we have some you know we have sales team going to uh, Expo East here coming up in September. We planned, to, and I know that's you know we're reading the tea leaves as COVID and you know different different health and. Health and safety protocols are keep changing. So we'll be very, you know, much uh, paying attention to that for Expo East as well as Expo West next year. Our promote, you know, on our website, we're available to contact. There's a contact link at the bottom there. And we have some great in store promotions if people are wondering about our brand. We have a fall seasonal program that's hitting shelves actually as we speak with our limited edition fall crispy wafer lineup. And then we have some really great. Holiday for the holiday time period coming up in November, December. We have some peppermint pieces and peppermint crispy wafers coming out limited edition, coming out in the holiday time period that we're really excited about.
1: Well, nice, nice. We'll look forward to that. Let's switch over to the quick fire round. I've just got four questions for you, and we'll just just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. You know, what's one tool or resource uh, that you feel has helped you a lot in your position?
0: Um, geez, that's a great question. You know. Just, I have to admit, it's just looking at the data, the POS data from the Whole Foods portal and the spins data that we use, and knowing the numbers and looking at our distribution, looking at our voids, looking at our velocities, looking like just that tool in and of it, like really getting into the data and knowing your POS data has has been something that, and then we create POS reports and
1: we track things and, and you know kind of go from there. What's uh, one book that you could recommend to people?
0: You know, I'm going to give you a curveball answer. I'm reading a book on D-Day right now, and and it's the uh, same author that wrote um, *Undaunted Courage* and all these great history books. And, you know, this came out 20 years ago, but Stephen Ambrose. But it's 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 a book about like planning D-Day. I mean, if you ever get into D-Day, the amount of planning and coordination and Courage and tenacity and problem solving. I mean, like it's kind of going back to the sports analogy we talked about earlier. But like, there's so many great lessons to learn. And I'm reading this book and just amazed at what that generation did and how much respect I have. And there's some great business lessons in there too. And I'm reading it right now and I'm just like, I think our country and I don't want to go down this road, but I just think a lot of I think our gener my generation and and, and so on could learn a lot by reading what happened 60, 70 years ago and what they tackled and the problems they solved.
1: That's awesome. What's the name of the book?
0: D-Day. It's actually called D-Day. It's called D-Day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's a great, great, great book With and it, and it really gives an in-depth account and it even gives the planning and, and how they prepared for it too, which is really
1: interesting. That sounds real interesting. I'll put it on my list. I've got an Audible credit just burning a hole in my pocket. So um, hopefully there's an Audible version of it.
0: Oh, I'm sure there is. It's a very popular book. It's, it's, it's awesome.
1: What uh, is one piece of advice that you'd give your 21 year old self?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Life in your career is a marathon. And it's not a sprint. And seeing the forest from the trees, it's kind of a little cliche, but viewing things as a marathon and letting go of what you like, what you worry about, or your problem today and your problem next week is really not the end all be all. It feels like it's the weight of the world, or it feels like but like it's a very big thing and it's insurmountable. Sometimes things feel insurmountable or you're anxious about this issue or this person or this challenge. But stepping back and viewing things as a marathon has really helped me, whether I was at Nestle or even when I'm here at a startup and we're moving fast. I wish I didn't worry about the day to day so much when I was younger and could step back a little bit more and see the forest from the trees.
1: And then who's one person in in your field of work that you'd love to take to lunch? You know, somebody, maybe it's another entrepreneur that you look up to, or, you know, anyway, who's somebody that comes to mind?
0: You know, I have learned a lot from people that are ahead of me in my career and in my life in general. And I've had just a phenomenal mentoring relationship with Peter Burns. He's the ex-CEO of Justin's. And he um, also then went and he helped Justin's and that team have a successful exit and helped scale that business with with a great team in place. He then went on to One Bar and just just recently, about a year or two ago, helped them have a successful scale and exit. He builds great teams. He's focused. He has great balance and approach to business. And he's just been a phenomenal mentor and I've just learned a lot from him. So I think finding people like that with, with, you know, having, finding people that have been successful and that are kind of ahead of you in your career has, is, I think that's critical for everyone to find
1: those, find those people. All right. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much. Uh, you've been a, a wonderful guest today. And I love uh, the experience that you bring, you know, from big company to small company. But I think you guys have a phenomenal product. And if somebody wanted to get a, a hold of you or wanted to, to reach out to you and maybe online or something, what's, what's the best way to do that?
0: Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn, of course, send me a DM
1: or on our website. Yeah. Awesome. And the website, again, is LittleSecretChocolates.com
0: littlesecretschocolates.com. Okay. Yeah, there's an S at the end, Little Secrets and then chocolates with
1: an S.com. Awesome, well, thanks Jeremy. Um, thanks again for, for jumping on and, and, and sharing your journey with us. We'll talk soon. Awesome, thanks, again. appreciate yeah. it. See ya. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.